Hello and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield University in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews that we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. All right, my name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Austin Morris Bridges. We're at Enoteca Nostrana in Portland. It's uh, November 2nd, 2020, somehow. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today, Austin. We really mm-hmm. appreciate this. Uh, first question for you, uh, why wine? Um, I mean, it's been a long journey. I um, started, uh, I guess it would all start in restaurants because I kind of think that's where everyone starts at some point um, because they're interested in food and service uh, and then kind of go from there. But, um, you know, I was 15 and it's my first um, job was in the restaurant industry. Um, it was kind of um, I, I started working in this place called Chanterelle's Restaurant in Eugene. It was run by a guy named Rolf Schmidt. Uh, and a uh, six-foot-nine German guy. He was, like, um, like a really intense dude, but also very calm and, and, and sweet and kind of became my mentor for about maybe close to, like, eight years. I kind of started there when I was 15, and as I went through college and everything, like I kept kind of going back and working with him and whatnot. But I started as a dishwasher and a um, prep cook kind of situation. And uh, he was just like one of these guys. He was just one of the old guard like chefs who just like cooked everything himself. He had like about 36 seats in there and would do like 130 covers, doing like Steak Diane, like Pierre de Boeuf and Coquille Saint-Jacques and all these kind of crazy dishes. But like everything was served with Spätzle. <laughs> and that was really cool. But um he uh he was just pretty amazing he had like 10 different fishes on his menu and i just got to be right there with him and watch him prepare all this stuff and and it was pretty intimidating at first because he'd get pretty pretty uh intense sometimes but uh uh at the end of the day he's always like kind of smile at me and like we did a good job and um i know i just kind of became a safe haven for me and um became this place where really enjoyed going to work he taught me a lot about like kind of work ethic and and this like um and service and building a restaurant i just kind of like the the small restaurant vibe uh the front of the house was run by this guy named moaf shar um i think he still owns a place in salem but i'm not sure um he was like five foot two iranian guy and they're completely opposite like um personalities like completely um um Moa really taught me about like service and hospitality and and just like remembering people's anniversaries and then like kind of like really showering them um and I really was drawn to being on the floor so I really wanted to try that I think Rolf wanted to keep me in the kitchen which is why at some point I decided to uh to leave and become a um a a server somewhere else because he didn't like he wasn't naturally like putting me on the floor and I really wanted to do it um and uh so I left and then it was like kind of after that he like like brought me back and said okay that's what you want to do let's do this um that was kind of a sideways note I kind of missed some things but like while I was there um you know um there was a guy named Mo, uh, um Aval Mosler who was one of the 
early guys bringing in um, Riesling into, into Oregon. He was like kind of focused on German wines and small producers, and um, and it was kind of my it was an opportunity for me. I'm just sitting there like you know cleaning mushrooms and. And Aval would come in, and he would chat with Rolf and German and whatnot, and he would taste them on some Rieslings and whatnot. And um, Rolf would then pass it down to me and let me taste, even though I was pretty young at the time. Um, so I guess it all started with Riesling, which is pretty cool um, to be able to like say that you were like exposed and kind of knew what the different styles were and everything at, at like age sixteen. Um, you know, it kind of grew from there. It was kind of the age of the California wines, you know, Silver Oak, Diamond Creek, and Stag's Leap, and all that stuff, and, and definitely um, the infancy stages of, like, really Oregon wines becoming very popular as well and contending. Um, to kind of further my education, as I kind of moved and positioned myself on the floor, I, like, um, I did take a wine class from a guy named Bob Sogi. Um, he, um, was kind of agriculturally, like, background, uh, and then, uh, he had taught these wine classes, and he, like, just kind of was just passionate about it, wanted to get people excited about it, and, um, kind of did that when I was, like, I think 18 or 19. Um, it didn't really all, like, stick at that time, um, but I was definitely, like, fully integrated in, um, the restaurant industry, I, I loved it. I loved just um, interacting with people, just like the energy, the family. It was kind of like um, a home away from home. Um, and so I learned, learned a lot about lots of things. And um, I had a lot of other interests though. I was always uh, one that wasn't nailed down to one thing. I was really into woodworking. So I started um, diving into shaker furniture. I was uh, working at as uh, the woodshop supervisor at the University of Oregon while I was uh, also studying music composition uh, and, and playing instruments and, you know, like writing string quartets and things like that. So it kind of like was always interested in lots of different things. And I think that's what I liked about the industry was that um, it kind of offered me a, a place to work, but also just like... Um, it was the amount you could learn and like branch off and do all different things. I feel like you're always constantly like um, uh, being introduced to new people and just like the energy was really exciting. Um, uh, then um, I had married at a very young age and I, um, she got a job in um, Germany in the Rheingau and uh, Wiesbaden. Um, she was working on a military base doing like social work and um so I moved there and I was then again um there in the world of Riesling um and it was just really cool to kind of get even more in touch with just like the simplicity of German cuisine and and wine and going to markets and just like seeing how that all came together and, and how good it was together and just kind of like thinking like kind of colloquially and like wow this is what you eat with this and whatnot and uh this time of year um so that kind of solidified some thoughts there for me um I had gotten a job though in Brussels shortly after that uh I re was reintroduced with a friend and um 
who I went to high school with, and he was a French major, and uh, then married a French woman and lived in, in Brussels. And he would come to visit me in, in Germany. He's like, you know, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just kind of like a defender right now. I'm, not, I'm just like running every day and reading and playing music. And um, he's like, well, why don't you, why don't you do this? And he like handed me his, he came by on, down and gave me like a stack of like IT books. And it's like, I could totally get you a job. And <laughs> so I read like everything about like networking and, that stuff like that um and i got a job at this place and um landed in brussels and uh, where i lived for a few years and it was probably like the easiest interview i ever had i i just walked in there they're like oh here's your phone and here's your gas card and your keys to your car and and all this stuff and i'm like well this is like way too easy <laughs> like this is like the you know to be in your mid-20s and all of a sudden just like be like you have like a travel pass in America and in, in, in Europe and can do whatever you want and you have like get paid in Belgian francs and it was like getting monopoly money didn't mean anything it's <laughs> like what's a thousand francs worth um so uh that was really cool and um I think at that time I you know really got more into cuisine uh, Brussels was incredibly diverse city um it was kind of like a spider web the way the city is because it has like an inner ring and then the outer ring and then in between there's a bazillion like roundabouts that are all connected by diagonal streets um and then each like roundabout is kind of like a different neighborhood of that might be uh vietnamese um uh northern african you know um, you name it, like you could go to a different neighborhood and be like, everything is about that cuisine, those clothes, everything. It's, it was uh, pretty neat. And so I would go there and uh, check out the markets and um, and then just kind of try the different restaurants until I found like the, the restaurant that was like serving up the good stuff. Um, and I got into Belgian beer, uh, which was, um, you know, huge rabbit hole and there's so many beers I mean there, there's this one beer place I went to that was um, called Beer Circuits it was kind of a weird name but uh, these guys were kind of like kind of rude and <laughs> I mean if you went in there like ordered like a beer that everyone knew like a Duvel or Vestmaler or something like that they would just like kind of like like it was like coming in and asking for like I don't know I don't I want to make too many examples there but um <laughs> they would shut me down and say you can get that anywhere and then finally I'm like well how about something like this and like well I got like eight beers like this and I'm like just give me something that you think is special <laughs> and then, then they would like bring some cool allocated like um beer and um, pour it for me and they had verticals of it I could go as deep as I want I kind of like learned from that <sighs> this thing of like you know like let the people who know what they're doing like take care of you and you'll be very happy and that kind of always stuck with me um um and I kind of carried that with me but I still wasn't working in restaurants anymore I um 9-11 happened um and I was kind of faced with like making a decision of like staying in Brussels and trying to keep work I was a contractor at the time and um, I had 
just switched jobs and the other job fell through after 9-11 so I was kind of like on the fence of like what I should be doing and um, while I was living in Brussels I was um, I'd come to visit a really good friend of mine um, in Portland a couple times and I had hadn't really experienced uh, Portland as an adult until that time um, and I just I just loved it I also just loved every time I went to back to the Northwest getting off the plane that was like that cool fresh air and just like it just was invigorating um, and yeah so I moved to Portland right after 9-11 which was kind of like a depressed um, time um, uh, for the city and it was really hard to find a job um, uh, circling back to when I worked at, at Chanterelles you know on slow nights I uh, basically was being trained to be a chef at the time so um, on slow nights Rolf would um, you know you know, tell me to grab a pan put that on the, the burner and kick up the heat and get it real hot and then he's like take me over here grab the steak and pounded out he kind of just walked me walked me through the whole process of like what he did on busy nights until I got better at it and better at it and on on like busier nights slightly busier nights he'd like let me take the reins and let me go as far as I could until um until I uh you know got in the weeds and he would just then take over um so I had this big cooking background, and I've always explored that, and I would always recreate the dishes he had for my family and everything. So I, I kind of had this big cooking background. So when I first got back to Portland, um, the first job I could get was to work in this kitchen at this uh, vegan, uh, like Indian restaurant, <laughs> or like it was called like Calga Cafe or something like that, and uh, and. It was kind of, you know, it wasn't being run as well as it could. And um, I remember working my first night there and, like, all of a sudden a bunch of people came in. We had all these tickets and I'm, like, starting to put up all this food. And then, like, the entire kitchen staff was gone. And, like, <laughs> I was like, where are they? And I see them, like, smoking out in front of, the, like, the, the windows. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> uh, so... Uh, at the end of the night, I'm like, okay, I'll take the job because I needed it. And um, I go, so what are you doing tomorrow? And he's like, well, this guy is coming in. His name is Moby. He's like, a, I guess, a musician. Um, I guess he's vegan and stuff. And I guess they're coming in with the radio station. I'm like, what are you cooking for him? <laughs> and he's like, he didn't really, he didn't really, like, have a, like, a firm answer. I'm like, we're going to the store right now. And we're like, I'm, and at the time I was exploring being a raw fooder because my the first house I lived in um, was the guy was a raw fooder and he's like gave me the challenge and so I like then like okay this is like a cool opportunity to like to try to cook different things and try different things so it just kind of all coincided that like I was like really good at making raw food and vegan food and Moby was coming in so anyway this is a long diversion um I went to uh I got a then I really wanted to get back on the floor because I knew I could make a little bit more money uh, I worked at this place called uh Zinc Bistro and um hated it um uh, but I uh 
I was working alongside with Ben Bettinger, who was just getting out of uh, chef school. He was um, in working there and interning at Paley's Place. And um, I was also working with Brian Steelman, who owns Port Cano. Um, I don't know if you know Ben Bettinger, but he um, runs Laurelhurst and um, Pig's Chicken. And it kind of all kind of lined up like that, and I got fired because I went in for dinner and <laughs> I went in for dinner and I the bartender brought me a drink and it wasn't on the bill <laughs> and so I got fired for this thing and I, I was like wow and okay fine um, and I went into uh, Beyond Meats at the time which was owned by uh, John Gorham and my friend Scott Ketterman who owns Crown Paella was uh, working there and I, um, he, he goes, how's it going? I'm like, fine, I just got fired from my job because <laughs> the bartender bought me a drink. This is crazy. Um, and then two days later, I get a call and um, got hired at um, Paley's place. And the first thing I told Kimberly Paley was, uh, you know, I just want to let you know I got fired for, uh, <laughs> because of, and I told her the whole scenario. And she's like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> just like freaked out. <laughs> anyway, I got the job and I just found myself in a kind of really cool moment at, at Paley's place. I was working there with Ben Bettinger, Scott Ketterman, um, Jason French, who owns Ned Ludd, um, uh, Lyles Railback, who is now with Kermit Lynch, um, Gabriel Rucker. Um, I mean, the list goes on. It was just like, 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 a lot of like what our Portland restaurant community is now is like we're all working there together and we're young and we're just won like the James Beard Award and and um, for Paley's and and it was just like crazy. Renee Gorham was working there. Her name was Renee Gray at the time. So just a uh, kind of a crazy time and we just we worked really hard. We played really hard. Um, but um, Kimberly was really on her shit and she like definitely um would you know quiz us every day on wines and made sure that we knew everything every day um and it was also kind of my introduction to john paul from cameron um and um yeah so it kind of really started there i think i just started kind of like really finding wine interesting and finding it like like in a in a service aspect and like pairing and things like that was kind of all starting at Paley's place even though I'd been in it for a long time but like you know when you're young you're like sometimes not always like found your passion there um I worked there for about three years and uh Clark Lewis opened and um I read that menu and I just was just like I I just really wanted to work there um Brian Steelman had worked there and he kind of like got me the job and um and I was just really excited because I loved cooking so much I loved uh cuisine I just read how simple the menu read and it was kind of reminded me of like reading a poem or something like that you know just like so beautiful and I knew all those flavors and how they would come together and um it was an all-Italian wine list, and um, 
I guess I had kind of worked with French wines and some local wines and a bit of Italian, but it was a bit intimidating because, you know, there, it was an all Italian wine list that was really focused on a, a lot of varietals that I had not heard of before. Um, so being like new and wanting to do really well and like be able to start to get to know this list really well, I just would go to the wine director and uh, say, go tell me what to sell next and give me some descriptors on it. And um, he like, boom, 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 and like, tell me, and like, and then I'd go right to the table and go, boom, I'd sell the wine just like that. And I just kept doing that. And I would, then I'd do that like three times and then I'd go to another bottle and do that three times and go to another bottle. And it was kind of like blindly selling a lot of these wines and not, and, but I, like, I'd look at the reaction, they were like, wow, this is incredible, you know, like, like, wow, this is, what is this? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I haven't had it yet. <laughs> um, so it, it, just the reaction, like, really got me curious, um, and we could take home any bottle we wanted, so I just started taking the bottles home and trying them. Um, I tried this varietal, um, it was, the varietal was La Corma de Moro de Alba, um, and uh, the producer was Juicy Luigi, Luigi Juicy, um, and it's called Rubiano, but it was just like something I never tried before, and it was like, I don't know if you ever had the grape, but it's from the Marquet, um, but it very, very floral, it's like, um, like rose petals, bergamot, it has this kind of black oil cured olive kind of like vibe to it, it's kind of savory, um, it's just like kind of all over the place, and I was just like, wow, this is crazy and I'm like this is just grapes that are fermented you know and aged and this is what it tastes like so I started becoming really intrigued and so I just started going down the list and like any varietal that was just like different and never heard of then I just really wanted to try it and so I did that um about two and a half years later I was in a coffee shop um um uh, Micah Camden um uh, just looked at me and goes, "Hey, I'm opening a new restaurant. You wanna, you wanna run it?" I'm like, "Okay," because he'd been in there a bunch of times. I'm like, "Sure." And um, so I took the job, and um, I, I also think it's funny because like when you're that young, like your your decision process is a lot quicker <laughs> when you make those decisions. Like, sure, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I like took the job, and then I like go in, in to look at the space, and I'm like. I mean, it's like 600 square feet, and I'm like walking there, and my heart starts pumping a little bit, like, what, there's going to be a restaurant in here? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and then I was like, this is crazy, what did you just sign up for, Austin? Um, and I had still hadn't met the chef and everything. Um, I was working at Beast in the interim, um, just to like, um, until everything got online over there, but, um, and then... Um, matched up with uh, Greg Peralt who's this uh, amazing chef who ended up owning June uh, if you ever been to June when it was around and we were just put in a box together and we had, like like play restaurant do this and and so I kind of started like thinking about what I wanted to do with wine and I wanted it to be an all Italian restaurant um, all Italian wine because um, that was kind of what my passion was um, and I was really bummed because uh, when I was at Clark Lewis, they had 
sold the restaurant and it used to be all Italian restaurant and then it went to like French and this and this and local and all this and I just like kind of took the wind out of my sails I wasn't like done exploring that so when I had DSC I was like I'm going all Italian and I even more so I was just even focused on everything else that people hadn't really like heard of I wasn't I was like I felt like Piemontese wines had been like really explored in Portland and so Tuscan wines um as at least the traditional ones like Chianti's and Grinalds and things so I really wanted to dig deep on these varietals that people hadn't really heard about um and I felt like because people hadn't heard about them it kind of gave you a little bit more um power to sell things because you're like kind of the authority on it in a way um at the time there wasn't a lot of options for all those varietals so I kind of just like went through the books and kind of tasted all the things that I could find um but I think as I like started selling it like I think people were like oh there's a market for this and like I think people started bringing some more things in um and I was just really on the hunt like like can you get some more of this can you try like I want to try this and like blah blah and you know like and then I that's when I started doing a lot more digging and and realized that I I had the power as a buyer to bring things in and I was like I thought that was pretty pretty amazing <laughs> um and I would totally support those things and then I would be like I want the next thing and I wanted to try something else and um when I first started the restaurant like the the whole wine by the glass concept was that I wanted to first empower the customer to to have the choice to make the choice of what they wanted to drink so I made I came up with this concept it was like okay I'm gonna open three reds and I'm gonna open three whites um, I'm gonna let the customers choose and once I've opened the three and the three, that's what was by the glass until one was empty and they, someone else could choose something else. Um, but then I would have a customer like, like, yeah, we want to drink this. And so I opened by the glass and then I'd go to the next table and they go, what's by the glass? Well, like, well, I told them what the, the whole concept of how like to choose the wines by the glass. And they go, what's open so far? I'm like, well, the only thing that's been open so far was open by them. They had, they open this bottle and and I'm like, like what do you guys think of the the wine? They go, oh, it's amazing! And they're like, we'll have a glass of that. So I, I couldn't even get past like a bottle of wine because <laughs> it was like it had this domino effect of how things and it was like kind of cool to like start like seeing that and that how the power of just like the energy of a room could like create this like vibe and how you, you can be a proponent of like like getting people interested in something but it's like this person can also have some influence and this person can have some influence as well and um so i built it started that way but we then quickly moved into uh being um a very like course meal kind of thing we had we did six courses we started with oysters it was kind of an unconventional way of doing things we then sit, put down if you were like a table four we put down all these oysters uh then we put down four different like antipasti we put down like three or four different uh creamy like risotto pasta whatever 
and then we put down like three different entrees and we put down like four different desserts kind of thing and people just pass things around and eat them and I kind of took it a step further <laughs> and I paired a different wine with each specific dish and it was kind of a weird way of doing things because it kind of put things people out of their comfort zone in the beginning but I like stuck with it and I kind of developed concepts to like reinforce why I did certain things um, and so I would start off with everyone on the same wine um, funny part too is I also only used Oregon Pinot Noir glasses and I only had Italian wine <laughs> which is also kind of weird uh, but I start off with a sparkling wine um, of some sort um, I was kind of obsessed with Colfondo Prosecco's for a long time just because it had this like um, like it was kind of milky, pet natty, and like had this like kind of like limestoney like salinity to it that I thought was really cool and I thought worked really well. Um, so I'd start people off with something like that, um, but then I'd pair a different wine with each dish, and we put the dish and glass in front of each person, and then they're like, "Well, what are we supposed to do? How? What if I want?" want to taste this and want to have a sip of that I'm like then do it <laughs> and then people started like you know sharing and like had this like kind of communal thing and, and and some people were like had to have their own glasses and stuff like that and we were such a small place we didn't have like the luxury of like you know polishing like glasses each round and like washing them every time because that mean I would have to do them because I was also the server, I was the runner, I was also doing all the pairing, I was like doing all the descriptions. So that was like absolutely impossible. Um, so I had to like figure out a way to like get people on board to do it my way. Um, and they slowly started coming on, and um, then I would like get to the next wine. It was I would pour. Um, a little bit of wine into the glass to like kind of rinse it and I tell them this is called priming <laughs> I'm priming the glass with the new wine and just rinse it around and then drink it and then I'll be ready for the new wine and they're like okay and then um and then some people like want the glass it just took a lot of training <laughs> but eventually got everyone there and um and it was kind of cool how it evolved because um a, like, when I would prime, sometimes there's a little bit of wine that was there before, and that would kind of blend with that, so they almost had this, like, kind of cuvee kind of experience, but at the same time, they're, you know, then moving into this new wine, it was just kind of interesting, and then plus they're passing around these different wines, and I was kind of, like, try to find wines that, A, would complement each other, but also, like, bring different things out and as you went from they almost all would pair with every dish and then they also would like play off each other really well so as you're like eating dishes and then take this sip and then over here it's like it's kind of like became this new thing you know um so that, that was fun um and it was funny because after a while people that really loved it they would come back and they would then train the rest of the table because they'd bring their friends and they'd be like no this is how it's done and then you all get the same they're like super excited about it and like and then this is called priming and then you're supposed to share it around and like all these things and I'm like yes <laughs> like it's like it's working somehow um well and and we we did the, the tasting menus and we also did uh 
like the um, a la carte simultaneously. Um, and I think also that had a huge influence because other people would see how much attention people were getting by doing the, the tasting menu and, and all the wines you got to try that they would like start wanting to do that. But it was also a different opportunity to introduce these people with uh, different wines. Um, for, so for nine years, I never had one wine listed by the glass, ever. Nothing was ever on the menu. And there was a reason for that. And, and another thing, as my wine list grew, I just decreased the font. <laughs> it was also right justified, and it was just like got smaller and smaller till like people couldn't read it anymore. <laughs> um, but that was there was kind of intention in that because I wanted people to like look at me and talk to me because uh, I knew the list really well. <laughs> um, but the whole wine by the glass thing was I, I felt like if I put things by the glass and like people see Rose Sessi did Dolce Aqua, like, they're not going to even know what the hell that is. And, and then they're going to see this price tag. They're not going to know the region. They're not going to know this producer. And what's the point? Like, let's have a conversation about things. But I also don't, didn't want people's, like, um, intimidation or um, not understanding what it is or a price tag to, like, deter people from actually trying something new. So I, I really was important to me just to put it in the glass and let them try it. And, um, and that worked wonders because a lot of, it just took, it kind of dissolved. Someone asked for like, I want a Pinot Noir, I want a Chardonnay or something they knew. And then I'm like, oh, and then I pour something. I'm like, what do you think? I'm like, oh, this is really cool. And I go, well, that's a, that's a Zabibo uh, from Marsala from the Professor Antonio Baracco. It's a, Got a little bit of skin contact. It's like rich. It's got this kind of salty apricot thing, and like, like, and it's gonna go really great with this next dish or whatever. And so then they were like, totally, totally into it. And and I realized once I like had that control, I kind of started pushing the limits a little bit more, and just to wines that were just different. Um, I was just, I think. Partly my background with like Belgian beers and really digging deep there and just like kind of that like that knack for this like crazy wild yeast and things like that that kind of made me want to explore the wine that way too and I realized that there was so much there and I, my also just in my evolution of uh, tasting wine every day I just kind of always gravitated towards wines that were that way anyway and I think what I started noticing is I just I, I was looking for this purity in, in wines and I didn't know I was looking for that but that's what I was attracted to um, and I, I guess I didn't really understand the vernacular and the, 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 the verbiage of things I kind of like always had, the, had this kind of like childlike kind of curiosity of discovering these things that I I just kind of like wasn't influenced by anybody and so people would bring all these wines and what they thought were like incredible wines and I'm like no that one's that is the one and then I just started picking these wines that were just I don't know they like there was they had a, like a subtle more subtle they had this like a more like like 
they had a quality about them that were just more honest to me. Um, and then I started learning a little bit. I realized about like inoculation and this and like different barrel treatments and stuff. I started learning a few things uh, in that realm. Um, and I, what I realized is I didn't really like ones that were inoculated and, and I didn't like wines that were, um, I, I just wanted wines that were just like kind of speaking for themselves. Um, I um, quickly realized that I loved everything that Louis Dresner brought in. <laughs> and I didn't realize that, you know, then I started learning more about just like distribution and importing and stuff like that. And, and um, I was like, oh, so this guy is like not trying to please everybody. He's just curating wines that he loves. It was often like make references to like record stores and stuff like that. Like you could have like every bit of music on the table, but like why? Because this is what you're listening to right now. So why don't you just expose people what you're listening to? Um, and I think felt like that's what they did, and I, so I was really drawn to that book and really wanted to um, understand it and, and get deeper there. And I think as I went that route, um, of course, different um, my reps from different distributors were like, "Oh, this guy's into some cool stuff." So I started bringing stuff down, and I just would just sell the show because I, <laughs> I would make that a pairing for like a week and just like be pouring that and everything and um, you know yeah it's just it was just fun I'd just go on these like long like treads on things and I'd use it in different different um, scenarios and different pairings I'm like well I paired it with this let's try it with this and like I would just try different things but I also wanted to give um my audience like something like completely new every time they came in and I guess the 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 opportunity I had at DOC was just to like be in like complete control of everything at any time I can like dim the lights I can I could change the music um I can I could change the entire wine by the glass program like that you know and um and I can read my crowd and, and the vibe, and I think that, like, it really built my intuition um, in the industry. Um, and I think that's, like, kind of the coolest thing that you can ever learn in service is, is, is acting on that intuition and, like, and, and being receptive to it because you're, you have all this energy around you all the time, and, and you can, like fight against it or you can just like go into it and just like see where it goes you know and um, I kind of did that um, and it, if it felt moody I'd make it moody if it felt fun and vibrant I'd like, like I'd go that way and I just kind of brought all the things I was interested in music wine food and all those things um, together in one place and um, it got really pretty good at it because I started just kind of had this fluidity of of I'd get there I'd you know clean the bathrooms this and that like vacuum the floors blah blah and then I'm like 
it's like five five forty five and and I gotta do the wine pairings. <laughs> <laughs> and I I just started like just doing it. I just like literally like a lot of times like I got fifteen minutes before service start I'd just be like I'd just take a menu and I'd just start writing the wine pairings on there. And those would be the wines by the glass. I'd put a price on there and then I'd just do it literally fifteen minutes before and um, and start pouring it and then seeing it. it was kind of fun because like I told you when I was at Clark Lewis and I'm like selling something kind of blindly uh, that was out of like it and like to see the reaction it was kind of cool just to like know it see their experience of something that I just like came up with in my head um, before I even tried it <laughs> and it's kind of crazy maybe but uh and a lot of times I would like, it was the, the references that I had with like these certain pairings wasn't necessarily had anything that logical to do with it. It might be just like imagery stuff, you know, like I had this wine, I did some pretty unconventional things there. Um, I would ripen certain wines. Um, I got a lot of like wines that were, um, I guess they call them natural <laughs> or whatever, but like um, that they were, you know, still finishing <laughs> in the bottle, you know, uh, and they had a little bit of like, you know, the carbonic going on and um, CO2 and, and I felt like those wines always expressed themselves when they then got some air and like, like resolved themselves and kind of became the settled space. Um, so I started doing that. I just started decanting them and putting them back in the bottle. I'd check it the next day and do that. And I had different wines that were kind of like ripening at different stages. Um, like, like certain orange wines I found like could really go in some interesting directions if I took them, took it a little bit longer. Um, so I just started doing that. I had a bunch of things going, but this particular wine that I had, um, I believe it was a um, Cascina Tivine. Uh, it was like a Rouquet, uh, something like that. But it was like, those wines are so like energetic and vibrant, but when they like settle, then you get these like kind of almond richness and this like chocolatey note and it's kind of florally chocolate qualities. And we had this like risotto and it had, um, uh, black jumping mushrooms on them and he did them in a way that they just got really dark and they just like looked like rolled shaved chocolate you know and I just like kind of I paired it on there just because of that and then people are like wow this is incredible and like we're super into it so I'm like okay let's go with it and I finally try it I'm like wow this is pretty good <laughs> uh, it's kind of crazy but I mean I, I just kind of like I, th I think that my approach was never like conventional and it wasn't like it wasn't about like knowing everything about a region it was a little bit more fantastical in the sense that like I kind of like started creating this imagery for myself um, you know a lot of these producers that I work with didn't have websites they didn't have a lot of information about them what I got was through the reps or whatnot but even that was pretty insufficient and I so it's like there was a lot of room for me to like like fantasize about who these people were where they lived what their life was like 
what the terroir was like and I just kind of like pieced it would piece it together in my head and I would kind of taste things in wines that um, reminded me of things of what could be there or you know like what could be in the soil or whatever and I thought that was kind of cool because later I would go to these places and a lot of this stuff was true you know and it was all because I created this for myself you know <laughs> it was like almost like wow how did I get like this this is in the soil and this is what I, I just asked these questions and like and they would give me the answer for it and I'd be like wow this is crazy um and I thought it was kind of neat because it's a different way of learning because a lot of people you know learn like the text first and learn like oh this is you know you know calcareous soil and this and then you like this is what you should be tasting but I kind of like went the other route and just kind of made the stuff up for myself <laughs> but then later learned that I was like mostly right <laughs> which was pretty cool um and I kind of liked that um because it it was creative for me it was it wasn't like like what everyone else I felt was doing and it kind of left a lot for my imagination and it seemed kind of romantic to me I don't know like that I just think that being so into music and, and arts and everything I just liked that there was some room for to to imagine things and it wasn't like all just like black and white and, and I realized like that wine is very much not black and white you know it's like you have so many variables that are going to change things all the time and vintage the the you know whatever the 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 winemaker is in, into at the moment and um why how are they evolving as an artist um who are they inspired by uh and I think that made me I related to that a lot more being in wine because it was very much how I was and how I was inspired by different music at different times and different cuisines and wine and stuff and I was kind of evolving too so um, uh, I really sought out I think people that I and winemakers that I felt like were honest and they weren't doing it to be the best at something they were doing it because they were very passionate about it and they really cared and um they were artists and and that it was so cool to see that they could do that with an organic you know product like a like a juice you know like like a juice can be art and that i think that was like the coolest thing ever to me you know like that food could be art and i'm just different level and that was another aspect to me is like I feel like wine a lot of times it gets like like up here in this kind of like pretentious like pedestal sometimes and and I just I think I was so um, enamored by the fact that like especially when I would go visit that like wine was just food you know and I, I didn't want I didn't want it to be any more complex than that, you know, and um, that it was a, 
something that people enjoyed with their meal and it was complimentary at every point and they're meant to go together um and i was i just feel like that was like the most important thing to keep it humble and keep it simple and to um realize that it's a food and that we shouldn't get too too crazy about it <laughs> um of course you know there it's undeniable there's people that are just remarkable at what they're doing um in that field and and those wines can be transcendental and um but it's it's just amazing when you can like bridge that gap of just being an artist and like also keeping it simple you know and approachable and humble um, so that's kind of my arc there um i uh I was ready for a new challenge and I think that I was I had been looking for a while um, and wasn't sure if I wanted to like open my own place or you know something like that um, and John Paul um, reached out to me and said hey you know uh they uh they're looking for a wine director at Nostrana. <laughs> I'm like I'm like, hmm, this could be really cool. And you know and then they came in for dinner actually before you said that, I think they were like checking it out at that time. Um I never asked Kathy that though. <laughs> I should ask her. Uh they had come in a couple of times and man, it was just like they came on some really great nights and I just like felt like everything, like all the stars aligned and I was like, had this really fun time with them. Um, and so I applied for the job. I thought it was like, um, a really cool opportunity, A, to like work for a place that I feel like was doing things for all the right reasons. Um, I think that it's it's always hard, you know, like dividing business from passion, you know, in that like um, where, yeah, we have to make money at this and we got to like sustain this business, but like how do you integrate the two um, is, uh, can be challenging, especially for a big place. We have lots of employees and all that stuff and um, I didn't really realize that when I was applying for the job, but I had deep respect for Kathy and what she had done for the community, and she was always involved. And, um, and Nicholas, who is our operations manager now, he um, was deeply into Italian wine and created a really cool program here. Um, so I, it felt like kind of a a natural step for me to, like, go somewhere where I feel like I could have extend my reach a little bit um, you know DSU was wasn't going to get any bigger than 28 seats and um, I w was ready to like see how my influence could grow and get more people exposed to different things and there's a lot of fun ways you can do with that here uh, with, with glass pours and, and and things like that, which I never had. It, it seemed like, now I have glass pours, wow. Um, but then training staff and then getting them exposed and, like, you know, 
all of a sudden being someone that's like influencing like young servers and and people that are well what's that wine that you poured what's this and um it's pretty neat for that them to be their entry level like point in, in the industry where when I was my entry point was far different I had to like almost create my own like interest and like things were evolving as I was doing it um and I feel like that's kind of like the the, the, the torch that you can pass off is like you know like like this is now where you get to start and you can go even further from here you know and, um we're lucky we live in Portland or and Portland's such a sponge for these type of things and um people really take it as far as they can um we have a really cool um wine community here and it's I just to see it grow over gosh the 18 years that I've been here or even just the the since 2008 when I opened DOC I mean I felt like I was starting from scratch at that point as far as what I was into um but to all of a sudden be in this place where I'm you know gonna have some a deeper influence um and be a little bit more behind the scenes it was it was hard for me because I'm such a interactive person I need to like be on the floor and like, yeah I was like on the floor selling wine a couple nights a week but all of a sudden I'm like teaching wine classes and like and like how like I'm not like the like traditional teacher you know like I'm like the way I learned about wine wasn't like like textbook you know and so I have to almost like create this curriculum that's like built around who I am and but does that work you know for everyone or is that what they expect from me I'm not sure so there's like pretty nervous about it at first and it challenged me in a lot of ways because um, I feel like I have just a different way of approaching all that stuff and um, it's more of like a spiritual thing where it, as a as a textbook thing you know um, and I like that um, I like it because it gives me opportunity to learn more at, and I feel like a lot of that a lot of information you can like cram all this information in your head you know you just like oh I read all this stuff I got all this but like do you, you know it you know and like no the only the only way you're going to really know it is by doing it and until you're actually exposed to it, until you actually develop your palate, your own personal, like, um, voice in this wine world, I mean, like, the spectrum is from here to here, right? So, like, where are we going to, like, where are you going to, like, wh what path are you going to create within that little world, with huge world? And I feel like um, by me just still being a student it, it gives me an opportunity to to have those like spontaneous little moments like I did when I went visit as producer and like you know things were as I imagined them you know I, I don't want to lose that side of things for myself because that's what gets me excited for life that's what like when all those things like come together and you have these like awesome moments uh, for example I mean 
uh, it was during the Chicory Festival. Uh, it was about four years ago, and we were at Ayers Creek, and um, I was talking to uh, Myrta Zirok, uh, I'm sure you know, who is the daughter of Elizabeth de Foradori, and she was working out there, and um, very passionate about chicories and all that, and we would just been like, the event was kind of over, and we were like standing there, and we were like chatting about like, you know, what do you pair with chicories and stuff, and like, well, and, she, and I was asking, well, what did they pair with chicories there? And he goes, oh, you know, like, Italians are weird about, like, eating salads and, like, eating wines with salads or whatever. And it's kind of weird. And um, she asked me what I would pair with it. And I was like, well, I mean, we're chicories are from, like, you know, Treviso, um, Veneto. you got to have, like, maybe some sort of Prosecco. So it was like I, I said Casa Costa Piani, the briquette. Um, um, Colfondo Prosecco um, is what I said and right when I said that Carol um, Anthony's wife was standing there with a magnum of Casa Costa Piano and we were like looked at each other like what just happened? you know so it's like it's just like weird things like that that I like really look forward to <laughs> in life because I as much as I want to like chart and like know everything, I like to leave some things up for for the universe to like kind of like line up for me. You know? <laughs> um, and that's kind of always been my like path uh, with wine, and and it's I've kind of just taken like little cues from um, moments that have happened that I feel are meaningful to me. Um, that, that like resonate with me on like kind of a deeper level. Um, I've never been like a one to like want to be in the spotlight or anything like that. I kind of just want to always just do my work. And I think kind of where I started, um, kind of ingrained that in me that it was like about doing something that you believe in and, and doing it exactly how you want to do it. Um, that really dictates the direction uh, or what people are going to respond to, you know. Um, and I think we're in a really interesting time now with, like, well, we're in a really interesting time now. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, prior to this whole COVID-19, for the record, that's happening right now, um, uh, it, that, I, I don't know, we've lost a little bit of that, like, like, natural evolution of a restaurant or where things kind of just are discovered by word of mouth and just kind of naturally, like, everything now is, like, something's open, it's, like, blasted here, it's Instagram, this and that and that. But there was something kind of very charming and beautiful about just opening your door, you know, and then, like, having this bit of like nervousness and anxiety of like oh the first person is going to come in and the second person and this and then like you do this and you're kind of like changing it and trying different things and you're kind of evolving your your art as your like as your opening um and 
though that still exists, I know it does, but it's just like it seems like there's something that is not like that very much anymore, you know, because everything gets like so publicized um, and influenced by different people and stuff. And I, I, I love, I love like the the simplicity of the other model <laughs> that people just like oh just popped in because of this. They were walking by and decided to go in there, and then they had this incredible time, you know. Um, but. Is there more of a, a pressure now to, to be successful immediately, to, to immediately be a hit? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, I think for a variety of reasons. A, like, um, things aren't cheap, you know? Like, like labor's not cheap. Your rent's not cheap. I mean, there's a lot of competition. Um, and there's a lot of pressure to, like... Um, be competitive and I think that a lot of times doesn't like create authenticity because I feel like now you're like what are they doing what what's that what's happening over there you know like um and I I kind of miss the days of just like that you had to like go there to really experience it to really know and yeah you can read a review or whatever and a lot of those reviews I feel like are biased anyway and and don't really give the the complete picture of what someone's trying to doing be doing um but there's something beautiful about just like you have to go there to experience it like and that's the only way you're gonna know um and it changes all the time like I when we first opened, I because of my IT background, I, I put up the website the night before. <laughs> I built out the HTML, and it was just like, it was just white with black border, and it was all just HTML text with my wine list, and it was that was it. But I would only update the wine list until like after I moved on to the next one. <laughs> so there was always like behind like. A few things and it was kind of intentional because I didn't I wanted there to be some surprise when we went there um, you know that it, you didn't everything wasn't exactly what you like did your research on or whatever like there's going to be something new and I'd always try to like do something different just because I'm like oh, I'm here I might as well like develop a new skill or something uh, I used to make these little cocktails at the end um, for everybody um, and I would put you know I'd bring like quinato or like I'd, I started making my own quinatos um, and I started making my own vermouths because I was like oh I have all this white wine left over and like I have all this red wine left over and on, on Saturday I had two days I was closed so I just like being able to cook it down and make some white vermouth and then I'd make some some quinata or some like like a bit like a bitter vino amaro or something like that and and then I would I, I just start I put on the menu like add on $15 and, and start with some vermouth and end with an amaro you know <laughs> it was all made from this really amazing juice that like all cuvee together and, and put together but I would mix, um, I'd make this cocktail with the Amaro sometimes, and I'd use a, a zest with that, 
and I'd bring everything to the table and I was, one day I just decided I was going to like start throwing the zest into the glass and I started and sometimes I'd hit people and I'm like, I'm like but I committed myself to it I was like I'm going to do this <laughs> and I got really freaking good at it so I started like I'd have a table of like eight people like and I'd just start going <laughs> and be like ding 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 and they're like <laughs> and I did that every table and some people did I did it so fast sometimes people didn't even notice that I was doing it but I just like I was like I'm doing this I might as well get good at something else you know why is this but, crazy person throwing fruit at me yeah <laughs> but I, I think that I part of it too is just like I love service um, and I felt like there's an artistry to service that I feel like has lost been lost and I, I I do hark back to like those days of like the old guys were like you know doing the flambe at the table you know there's something really intentional and cool about like people who really try to take it to the next level and it's not just about like something like creating easy systems that are like really fast and you know it's more about like going above and beyond and 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 yeah it's always harder and it's always like <laughs> you know more intense and like it makes your your day but it gives you i feel like it gives that you something more to like to believe in um and i feel like customers really like respond to that um and they can just tell you care because i mean obviously i could you know put wines by the glass on the the menu i could not bring three bottles to your table and pour in. You might not like one of them. I have to bring something else over. And that's like five steps, you know? Like, I can make it real easy. Um, but I just felt like it wasn't... I feel like some, a lot of times the hard way is the best way, you know? And I, I find that way in wine and, and, and food and so many different things that um, it's doing things like the intentional the intentional way uh, um, really brings a lot of life to it you know? so it's about developing that kind of service philosophy because you talk about kind of harkening back to the, the table side mm -hmm. service and the, the over the top customer service no, nobody really expects that anymore so uh, do people are, does it do you have to kind of build that bridge with people before you do something like that or are they, are they no. taken, taken aback because you're having all of this service, or is it something they, they welcome? Um, well, in the context of DOC, I think people started like really expecting it um, because it's just kind of what I did from the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, and I, it's not like it was intrusive service or anything. I, I, I think that I did things very quickly, um, but I. I only had so much time, so I had to like do things like create my service in a way that I could do it, and then and move away and like go to the next because I had like you know maybe twenty eight pairings to do right before the next course, but I also had to clear the tables and like, reset them and everything. So it's like um, I had to do things really quick, and I think because I was just doing that, I became very seamless. I knew that room like like the back of my hand. I could probably like 
with a few steps with my eyes closed, I knew exactly where I was, you know, and I would swivel around, it was almost like a dance, you know, I had like a hole in the bottom of my one shoe that I wore through, <laughs> because I had these like loafers, that I, and I, because I always pivoted on the same foot and stuff, it was like, you know, just like, I loved the fact that like, if you like really looked, you could probably see all the places where like I hit my like, my little service spots, but I did so fast and quickly. And then when there was time for engagement, then I would go that. If people wanted engagement, then it was very obvious. If people didn't, then they didn't. But I think that a lot of times it was that type of service that people were looking for. They wanted to be shocked because they weren't used used to that. And it was kind of like that was is what like created certain domino effects. And what I was doing there because I would you know, do something for one couple that are at a family table and the three other couples aren't doing that and then, and then they they all want to do it or vice versa, the three couples are doing it and then just one couple that are like kind of not like with the program and they want to be part of it. So um, there's like this inclusivity and like this like um, not like missing out kind of thing. Um, but also, I mean, the, the the customers reinforced what I was doing, so it was, it was like I already had people reviewing or telling <laughs> them what they what they thought about everything, and it's great. You talk about the, the the challenge, kind of a challenging wine list, building building a wine list of not only Italian wines but Italian wines people weren't familiar with, and that you yourself in some cases weren't that familiar with. I'm I'm curious about the idea of having to be the person to introduce each new customer to, to a wine, and, and you talk about the kind of intimidation factor, uh, mm-hmm. not knowing a region, not knowing a varietal, not understanding the price. Tell me about that kind of pressure that puts on you to, to, to sell that wine with, it, with people not being familiar with it at all, and having no background with that kind of varietal before you. Um, I think having, A, being really nice, really helps um, and I think that being confident um, is really important um, and I think a lot of people kind of want to be guided um, and there might be things that they don't like but there's ways to get around it um, um, and kind of show them your vision um, and and win them over. Um, I found that um, that though I'm like we'll just put things in the glass and just like walk away. Sometimes um, I had enough variety on the table that people could, if they were drawn to something, then they could hang on to this or that. You know, if there's four different wines in the glass, like someone might like this one more than the other, but. The fact is they, they're they still going back and trying the other one and then over time there's a, there's this kind of thing where they're, they're just kind of like like start to develop a little bit of a taste for it, you know, and um, there's also that reinforcement of like other people that are at the table that might be further along than they are and, and like say like, this is great, did you try this with that and so forth. Um, there was also, you know, like people like, you know, sometimes I'd bring like six bottles to the table and like trying them all and finally get them something you know that's great but 
I knew what they were having next, and I'm like, that first one I poured for you, you know, like, I just give them a little extra. I'm like, here, just hang on to that. When your food comes out, then try it. Um, and I think that a lot of people want things to be perfect on, like, just, like, people are so used to, like, drinking the same thing, and there's, like, a, a very chemical response that happens there when you, like, get to a table, and you're, you're out, you're, you're going to a restaurant, and you almost, like, you want to have that resolution of this, like, it's probably called addiction, you know, it's, like, really, so you used to drinking a certain wine, like, ah, oh, okay, life is normal again, life is good, you know, but, um, there is something, you know, like, we all develop these things, like, like, cup of coffee, how we want our coffee every morning, and if it's not just right, then we're gonna, like, kind of start the day off on a bad note, you know, kind of deal, and that can happen at the dinner table, too, and, I think that um, you just ease them into it, you know. Um, I, I, that's why I said is um, a lot of times I would, you know, I could read the room. I could see where things were going. And then um, I could change the whole thing. I, if I had pairings laid out a certain way, I can flip them a little bit. I can ease them up if I had a the crowd was like I see like oh they, we got these people tonight like I can just like mm-hmm. completely change everything um, and eat make it easier for some nights for some people and then like slowly build it up as we get into it um, and then others I just go right out the gate and, and get adventurous right away because uh, I knew they'd been in or I just I just was feeling it you know Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. Special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have assisted on our oral history interviews.